Hey there, podcast listeners. We have a special treat for you today. Uh, about four times a year, we have what we call a kid-friendly sermon. Uh, it happens during school holidays. And basically, I pitch the sermon such that the kids really get the first half and uh, I, I make some extra comments to the adults at the end. It's an unusual kind of sermon, but it's one that seems to work for our congregation and I hope it's of benefit to you too. Anyway, here's the sermon. Uh, let's pray and then I'll speak particularly to the, oh, speak particularly to the, uh, the kids first of all. Uh, let's pray. Father God in heaven, you have given us your Bible that one great story of all of your saving work in Jesus. You have given us your Bible so that we can be saved, so that we can be ready to live for Jesus all of the time. And so, dear God, please help us to trust Jesus all the more today and change to be all the more like him, even right now, this morning, please. In Jesus' name, Amen. Right, kids, let me just get a fix on where we are. Oh, yeah? There's a few of us around. It's good. Um, today, we're going to do something very important together, something very important, something that I feel it, it, we need to address from time to time here at church, and uh, we're going to solve a very important problem. Let me tell you what it is. I like to call it the moral mystery of the morning tea Tim Tam. Very important moral conundrum. Very important question that you need to know the answer to. The moral mystery of the morning tea, Tim Tam. Are we ready? Okay, first question that I have for you. This is for grown-ups as well, you understand, as kids, grown-ups and kids. Uh, First question is, who here likes Tim Tams? Okay, sign of a healthy congregation. Good to see. Um, Here's what I need you to imagine. We're going to go on a little journey together, hands down. Here's what I need you to imagine. Um, It's Sunday morning. That's easy to imagine, isn't it? Uh, We're here at church. Sunday morning, we're here at church on a regular Sunday morning, but three things have changed. The first one is there's a new kid here. Uh, Let's call her Karen. There's a new kid here called Karen. Uh, The second thing that's changed is... There's another new kid here. Let's call him Chris. So there's Karen and there's Chris. Third thing, very important third, number three thing that is different about this particular morning that we're imagining is that some wonderful human being, a delightful human being has brought along Tim Tams for the kids to have for morning tea. Tim Tams, yes! And they're out there, sitting out there, perched on the eight ball table for the moment when you're free to go. Don't, they're not, it's imagination, Charlie. It's imagine. They're not, I'm sorry. Um, although I did see what's in the kitchen before. Yeah, you'll have to wait and see. That's for another time. Anyway, those Tim Tams, I want you to imagine that they sit out there on the eight ball table for all to see. All, how many of them are there in an original Tim Tams packet? All 11 of them. 11, a prime number, honestly. Um, 11 of them sitting out there in their glorious, chocolatey, sweet, delicious goodness, just waiting, waiting for the stampede of salivating children as they are released and allowed uh, to go and get some sustenance after the long suffering period but now they're able to go and enjoy those Tim Tams, including those kids, including Karen and Chris, the two new kids, remember? Now, Karen, when the time comes, here's what you need to know about Karen. Karen, when the time comes, 
She beats everyone to those Tim Tams. Lickety split. Why? Because she's fast. She's the girl that you want on the running team at school. Karen is fast and she is first to those pack, to that open packet of Tim Tams in all of its glory. But here's the other thing about Karen. Do you know Karen's nickname? Overcautious Karen. Caring too much Karen. And you see, as Karen makes it up to the eight ball table there and reaches out her hand to get her Tim Tam straight out of the packet, her fingers are poised there, ready to go, just the ready to get that first. As she does that, she looks around to see who else is looking, to see who's watching. And I wonder if you can imagine who she sees, whose eyes her eyes meet. As she's reaching out for that Tim Tam, she sees my face. My face standing there, watching my eyes meet her eyes as she's got her arm poised and ready to go. She sees my face and the kids are catching up behind. She looks at me and I want you to guess what face I've got on as she looks at me. Can you think what face I might have on as she looks there, as she's run up and got ready to get that? What expression am I wearing on my face? Is it this one? Is it... (laughs) Go for it, Karen. You beat him. Get that Tim Tam. Is that the face I've got on? (laughs) It's the face I've got on now, but sadly it's not the face I've got on when Karen reaches out for that Tim Tam. It's not the face that... Karen's eyes meet and see as she reaches for that Tim Tam because even though my eyes are on Karen's eyes, you see, my mind is a million miles away. I'm not even thinking about Karen, I'm not thinking about Tim Tams, I'm not thinking about the stampeding horde of children running toward that packet of Tim Tams. She thinks, Karen thinks that my face is for her, but it's not. It's for something else entirely. And I say that because do you know what face I do have on? It's this one. My kids know that face. It's this one. Yes, that's right, the scowling face. And I'll tell you why I've got that face on. It's because I've been talking to Lisa. Is Lisa here this morning? It's because I've been talking to Lisa. You see, now Lisa asks me these wonderful Bible questions. And Lisa, you see, is very, very smart. So when Lisa asks me a Bible question, she always asks me very hard ones and I never quite know the answer and so I screw up my face like this as Karen looks at me, do you see? And so, do you know what Karen does? See, some of us are like Karen always wondering what other people are thinking about us. Some of us are like Karen, always concerned about what he might be thinking about me or what she might be trying to communicate or what that face is supposed to mean. Some of us are like Karen and we're scared when people stare at us or look at us and we're not quite sure what to do. And some of us, uh, you know, if we have to do something in front of other people, well, we'd just rather not do it actually and so I won't do it and I'll miss out altogether rather than do that in front of that person. And so do you see what Karen does, even though her hand is it's poised right over the Tim Tams, do you see what she does? She pulls her hands back when she sees grumpy pasta face and puts her hand by her side after all. And up come the other kids, do you see, to get the Tim Tams. Eleven Tim Tams in the packet, well there were, <laughs> and then the rest of the kids started getting to them, ten Tim Tams, nine left in the packet, eight, seven, six, five, 
four Tim Tams left in the packet. Do you know anyone a bit like Karen? Do you know, do you know anyone a little bit like her? Overcautious Karen? Care too much Karen? Maybe you're a bit like that. Uh, grown-ups, have you ever had the, the reaction um, uh, when you've had a, a, a tussle with someone through the day and what she said upset me so much I didn't sleep a wink? It made me so frustrated what he said about me and now everyone thinks that about me. I'll just keep quiet in these situations. I'll just keep quiet because I'll just be too embarrassed to speak in front of them. You and overcautious Karen, maybe. But I said, didn't I? I said there were two kids. So you've got Karen there standing by the packet of Tim Tams rapidly dwindling. I said there were two kids, didn't I? There's Chris, there's Chris as well. How many Tim Tams did I say we'd got down to as we... Four, exactly, four. We'd worked our way down to four Tim Tams, just four. And who's this running up next? It's Chris. It is Chris, the new kid. Here he comes. And look at Chris go. Chris may not be the fastest. In fact, he's not. Um, But it doesn't matter because what Chris lacks in speed, he has got in guts, let me tell you. Chris does. Uh, So when Chris reaches in for his... No, hang on. When... When Chris reaches in, both hands, do you see, for his Tim Tams... He is not looking for grumpy pastor face. He is not looking at anyone's face because he doesn't need anyone's approval. As he reaches for his Tim Tams, he's thinking about one thing and that's his Tim Tams. In go two hands, out come four Tim Tams. Now that would be a problem because there was a kid behind him, but never mind, that kid's quick and just nicks one of his Tim Tams and runs off. Chris isn't fast enough to catch up to him, so it doesn't matter. And Chris is still happy because he's still got three Tim Tams, do you see? How would you describe Chris? What's his nickname? Chris, you see, is couldn't care less Chris. Who cares? Chris. Two, two hands in, four Tim Tams out, and that, as they say, is that. Now, do you know anyone a bit like Chris? Have you ever, perhaps, ever done a thing? <laughs> ever taken a thing? Ever had a turn when it should have been the other person's turn? Have you ever uh, maybe taken the last thing when you've already had your thing? Uh, Grown-ups, don't we? We have phrases to polite... We have all sorts of phrases, but we have phrases to politely describe people like this, don't we? Thick skin, he's so thick skinned. Ah, it's all water off a duck's back with her. The really sad thing, of course, is that Karen is kicking herself. And I don't just mean about the Tim Tam, I mean kicking herself because she has blown it again. Why can't I just toughen up? Why can't I be a bit more like Chris? Why do I have to care so much? And Chris, to his credit, when his dad catches up with him especially, you know what his dad says, don't you? Chris, why couldn't you have just taken one? Like one would have been fair. And Chris knows, and Chris feels guilty, but he's already eaten them. Well, he ate two of them because the dad, when he found out, took one of them and ate it for himself to make it more fair, you see. He did the wrong thing and he knows it and he he keeps doing the wrong thing and he carries a bit of guilt about it. So here's the question for us, folks. How can Karen and how can Chris... And how can you and me live our lives, make our decisions, even the little ones, even the moral mystery of the morning tea Tim Tam, 
How can we make our decisions so that we are not controlled by him or her or his face or others and what she might think and he might say? So we're not controlled by that and we're not controlled just by even ourselves and our own silly and selfish and gutless sometimes and sinful, greedy, grasping, getting. How can we live lives a better way? Even at morning tea time. And I want to say from today's passage... Learning to follow Jesus can change even what you do at morning tea. And I want to show it to you. Here's what happens, you see, when we're following Jesus. We stop asking the Karen question. What might she think? What's he going to say? And we stop asking the Chris question, which is who cares, what they think. And we start asking a new question, what will help them? What will help her? What will be good for him? And even bigger, what is going to be glorifying to God? So let's read just this one paragraph, the last paragraph uh, in the Bible together from what we read. So please read along with me. If it's on your lap, it's the last little bit of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, It'll come up on the screen. And Paul, Paul, the person who wrote this bit of the Bible, is telling the Christians there, don't just do stuff because it suits you, couldn't care less, Chris. And don't just do stuff because it keeps people happy, care too much, Karen. But no, have a look here, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. Can we read it together? So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And then he goes on, do not cause anyone to stumble now, what's he talking about here? Is it the morning tea, morning tea stampede and tripping someone over? No, no. Do not cause anyone to stumble. He means don't do stuff that makes other people want to sin too. Uh, maybe don't do silly stuff, greedy stuff, bullish stuff, awful things that make other people want to follow your bad example. You grab three Tim Tams and so the next person in line wants to grab three Tim Tams. No, no. Don't cause anyone to stumble whether Jews, Greeks or the Church of God, even as I try to please everybody in every way. Hang on, please everybody in every way. Is that just Karen then? Is he just consumed by what other people will think about them and other people being happy? No, no. He's not just trying to make everyone happy. How does he go on? That's not what he means by pleasing people. He says, for I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many so that they may be saved. Not just the happiness of many, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example, says Paul, as I follow the example of Christ. So kids, let me give you two bits of advice from this passage. Two bits of advice and then we'll pray. Number one, even in the simple little things, even in the simple little things like morning tea, Tim Tams, or the words that you say to your friends at school, or how you play games with your siblings at home and even when you're losing, even in the simple little things, you can do something good that helps that person along in their faith in Jesus or that helps that person to learn about Jesus by the way that you live and to know him better. For I am not seeking my own good, says Paul, but the good of many so that they may be saved. Even in the simple little things. And number two, second bit of advice I have for you. I want you to know, kids, 
whether you're a kicking yourself Karen kind of a person, caring too much about what other people think, or whether you're a couldn't care less Chris kind of a person who maybe wishes he cared a bit more sometimes. I want you to know this, Jesus came for you anyway. Jesus came for you, because that's the example we're following, isn't it? Follow my example, says Paul, as I follow the example of Christ. Christ is the one who came to do good for people who didn't necessarily deserve it, who didn't have the morning tea moral mystery of the Tim Tam figured out, who did things because of what other people thought or who did things because he couldn't care less what other people thought. No, no, Jesus came to save people like us. He came to save people like you, knowing your failings, knowing you've got it wrong. He came for you anyway. How about we pray? Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he came to save. And thank you that when people told him he was crazy or wrong or bad or doing the wrong thing, he didn't just change to make them happy. He died to make us saved. And thank you, God, that when Jesus came to save, he didn't just do what made him happy either. He didn't do what was easy. He didn't do what felt best for him. He gave his life because that was what was best for us and for our good. Dear God, thank you that in Jesus we see the character of a perfect, loving, generous God and God, we confess to you, too often we get grumpy about whether or not we got our fair share of Tim Tams or whether or not someone pulled a face at us. Please, God, give us the same heart that Jesus had. Whatever they do, we'll do what's for their good anyway. Please help us to remember that and to do that. Next time that we feel like being pushy or next time we feel scared, help us to remember that right there and then, we've got a chance to help, a chance to do good and perhaps even to help someone see Jesus through our actions. And we ask for your mighty Holy Spirit to enable us to do that because we find it very hard sometimes. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Grown up, so I just... um. Uh, grown-ups and older kids, really. I mean, you, got, you guys can hang on, can't you? You absolutely can. Uh, we've just got two additional avenues, two additional avenues. Yes, you're one of the older kids, Maureen. I see you there, sort of not sure whether to listen or not. Yeah, you're in this category. Um, two additional avenues for us to explore and, uh, and then we're done. So over the last couple of months here at Good News. We've been looking at 1 Corinthians, of course, over the last couple of months. And uh, what's the question that we've been teasing out um, Corinthians with? We've tried to answer this, how must the gospel get right down into the grid of life? That's been our question, really, teasing out the implications of the gospel, just into ordinary life, as we've looked at the uh, letter to the Corinthians. So we're finishing that off this week with chapter 10, at least for now, and I really hope that we'd leave this series with a very uh, rich and deep and profound sense, particularly from today, that there lies before you, Christian, a life of spiritual significance in the Lord. And I don't just mean that kind of feels significant or that seems significant to you. No, I think the implication of today's teaching is this, isn't it? Even in the small decisions of your life, you know, so whatever you eat and drink, even in the small decisions of your life, you can exert a positive spiritual influence in the lives of the people around you. 
as they come to see Christ in the gospel in your life. I find that an astounding thought to think of my life in those terms, if only I realised how to do it, of course. And I think this passage does give us a little bit more help in that. So let's read together again from verse 31 of chapter 10. Let's read that paragraph again. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks or the church of God, even as I try to please everybody in every way, for I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now, um, the Corinthians, of course, we just need to get our heads back into the situation in Corinth, don't we, there, uh, as we've been learning about it. The Corinthians, of course, they needed to learn, didn't they, that not seeking their own good, what did that look like for them? Um, Astounding, wasn't it? Not seeking their own good meant not visiting idols at temples and eating meat and food that had been sacrificed to them in a celebration at an idol's temple. They needed to learn that that was not behaviour that was going to be for anyone's good. That was how they needed to not seek my own good, but the good of many so that they may be saved and so follow the example of Christ. But here's the thought, if you were, if I were more possessed of this, not seek my own good, but their good that they might be saved. Imagine if our lives were captivated by that a little bit more. I think people definitely would see more of the gospel in me, wouldn't they? Let me give you just one example. Uh, I'll describe it in terms of my life and and I'd invite you to kind of tease it out for your own. Uh, When I think of this not seeking my own good, but the good of many, that they might be saved, I think of my life as a dad in the home, even as my kids are listening. I think of my relationship with my children and how I respond to them how I react to their behaviour sometimes, how I carry myself in the, tone, in the home in the kind of tone that I set there. Am I, if I'm honest, very often seeking what is easy for me rather than what is good for them? What is pleasant for me? What is palatable for me? What benefits me? Or am I not seeking my own good but theirs that they might see Christ in their dad, that they might be established in the gospel in their very home? Are we as parents, in other words, am I bending home life just to what pleases me, what's pleasant for me, what's nice for me, or do I see every opportunity as a choice, as a chance to seek the good for my kids? Um, David Helm the bloke who wrote the, uh, the Big Picture Story Bible, that marvellous kid's Bible, he has this very snappy way of putting it. He says this, he says, the home should be a climate of grace or we'll raise good kids but not gospel kids. I'll say that again. He says, the home should be a climate of grace or we'll raise good kids but not gospel kids. Avenue number one, doing things for the glory of God and for the good of the people around us. The second avenue, and this will be very quick, it's a conclusion really. Uh, we, we had uh, Marion read to us before some words earlier in the chapter, do you see? 
that I, I don't want us to pass over without commenting on in some way. Uh, and remember, the context is this. The Corinthians, perhaps partly because of social pressures, but also, I think, just because of their bravado, they had become locked into this pattern that isn't showing the world Jesus. In fact, their idol temple meat-eating is ruining their witness to the unbelievers there, the non-believers there in Corinth. And Paul is calling them to change course, perhaps with big consequences, consequences within their families, consequences within their standing in society. And so he comforts them, well, he challenges them and then he comforts them in these words. Uh, Verse 11, he says, these things happen to them, that is the Old Testament believers with their many failings. These things happen to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfilment of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful you don't fall. And then he gives them this comfort, verse 13, where he says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. What does it mean to stand up under temptation? What what exactly is that limitation that God won't allow me to be pushed, to be pressed, you know, thus far and no further? Well, friends, here is the thought that we leave our series in Corinthians with. Our God, the God who came to save a lost world, our God, the God who came to save a losing world, a loose world, a loveless world, our God, do you see, stands with us in the nitty-gritty of life and what it means to stand there in that verse is the same as what it meant for Jesus to stand as he headed to the cross, as he stumbled to the cross, as he buckled on the way to his crucifixion for us. It means that God would have us show Christ to the world, whatever comes, and God will faithfully enable his children to do just that, to show Christ to the world. His promise, friends, is not a promise for our ease. It wasn't for Christ's. It's not a promise for our comfort uh, in the the preference kind of ease, kind of happy life sense. It's It's not a promise of sustaining our privilege. It is a promise to parade the glory of the Lord Jesus for the salvation of any and all who will believe in him. God is faithful. So follow the example of Christ. Let's pray together. Our God in heaven, may Christ's life become our pattern for life. May Christ be the power that we draw from to live it. May his priority become ours in life. May his purpose for us be our inspiration as we face challenges. May his patient mercy, his boundless forgiveness, his perfect self-giving for us and for the salvation of our world be our joy and our comfort and our hope. And Father, do use us, we ask please, 
for the glory of Christ in our world and for its salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.